I'd say this is a question and answer session and we've got questions who have come in from all our viewers around the around the country. So Thinking about what we've been talking about earlier, just about volatility. Um, cryptocurrencies are some of the most volatile assets that are, that are available. Is it worth taking my 25% tax-free cash sum out of my pension pot and investing it into stocks and shares ISAC? Stocks and shares ISAC? Oh, it I says, how do different asset classes perform in periods of high inflation and what does this mean? Two people ask this. Can I withdraw money from my pension before the age of 55? I think the main point to take away from that question is, um, you know, if, if, if Jeremy is going to keep it under his bed, it's not going to grow. Um, so it's the education and, and almost people reaching out for that advice and that information to say, well, you know, what should I be doing? So great questions to be to be um, sending in for us to for us answer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to True Potentials podcast number 91. Uh, my name is Steve Hutton. I have the unenviable task today of turning from a poacher into a gamekeeper, but I am joined by some well-established, uh, well-experienced poachers. So I'm joined today by Jeff Casson, Laura, Laura and Neil, who are going to answer our questions. Today it's a slightly unusual podcast in that um, we're not going to follow the same format of having a market update and then running into questions. As I say, this is a question and answer session and we've got questions who have come in from all our viewers around the around the country. So we're going to start off uh, asking questions straight along because some of them, Jeff, uh, are on the markets and on yep. investments, so you can answer them as we go along, if that's all right. First things first, let's have a few uh, chat around the table about what we've been doing this week. Jeff, what's your week consisted of? How have you filled your time? Well, this week's been very much about what's been happening in terms of company results. So looking at a lot of company results that we hold within the portfolios. Particularly thinking about have these companies been able to pass through some of the cost pressures that we've seen. So feeding into that whole narrative around inflation. So it's been actually good to be focusing in on companies as opposed to broader markets this week. So that's been the real main focus for us. Very interesting actually because as a layman in investment terms I've been watching the news and I'm sure you're going to fill us in as the questions go further on but it's been quite an interesting week in the news. Um, so and company results are interesting certainly with uh, the summit coming up and how we're going to deal with the climate change etc. So I'm sure you've got a lot to, to share with us as we go ahead but we'll look forward to that. Laura, Hello. what have you filled your time with this week? Yes, yeah, so we're preparing for um, the audit. Uh, we've got the upcoming audit this year so there's a there's a lot going on in the team this week um preparing for an interim order that we've got coming up and the year end so we run a, a pretty tight ship um for year end so that the team work extremely hard so we're just planning um planning ahead ready for the year end so that we can have a seamless transition in the next year um but ready for the year end order but also to get those results out for everybody um in, in a timely manner as well that's brilliant i know you've been very busy because i've been waiting on my expenses being paid oh dear so, yeah. But apologies about that yeah don't worry we'll, about we'll that. get them prioritized i can probably manage without them <laughs> for a week neil over to you well just to say my expenses have already been paid so really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the yeah, company will be bankrupt yeah <laughs> but this week i've been mainly catching up uh, because as you know with m myself and you you have been away on um seminars uh, up and down the country um, obviously seeing advisors so for me it's an opportunity to um, get back into my team the central advice team um, and just um, really crack on till the end of the month um, we've got a lot of clients obviously to see in service so it's typical just working working week great okay right well let's get down to the questions if we may apologies everybody you will now be aware that i'm wearing my new glasses they are they're not bifocal they're sort of occupational so they're different sort of strengths at the top and the bottom so if you see any weird kind of head movements from me please just 
bat on with your answers. It's just me trying to get you into focus. Um, <laughs> right, in relation to the markets, Jeff, I think this is interesting. Um, we should start off there. When we see the markets being reported on the TV, um, they generally refer to equity markets. Now, obviously, one of the facets of our investment proposition is the diversification. But an interesting question has come in from Mark. It says, how do different asset classes perform in periods of high inflation, and what does this mean? Okay, so there's many parts to that question um, because there are many different ways that inflation is caused. So that's probably the starting point that we need to think about. Why do we have inflation and what's driving inflation? So inflation at this point in time is coming from the fact that we had a lockdown last year, economies have reopened, supply chains are disrupted, demand is actually really, really strong and I think that's the other point that is, tends to be forgotten a little bit at the moment, that demand is now back above pre-COVID levels. So we've recovered very, very quickly. At the same time, we've supply chain bottlenecks as a result. And that's feeding in. So it's really driven by demand is driving the, the inflation with the lack of supply at this point in time. So we've got rising inflation, but we've also got strong growth, which is a real positive. The difference would be if we had rising inflation and slowing growth, which would take us back to the environment that we probably would have experienced in the 1970s. That's a very different and difficult environment for, for asset classes. Relatively benign, slightly rising inflation, typically positive for most asset classes. Where we think about where there are challenges is around sovereign bonds, um, primarily investment grade credit. Typically don't like a rising inflation environment, primarily because it means interest rates are going up and that will feed into a negative impact on, on their return. Other asset classes are much more positively correlated with rising inflation along with rising growth. So equities, real assets, higher yielding bonds, all areas of the market that offer opportunity. Equities as well, um, we've seen a lot of our managers think about higher quality equities. Why is that? They can pass through um, in price increases and protects their margin as well. So various different ways to position portfolios to, to navigate their ways through, both using traditional assets but also thinking about other ways, using currencies, um, interest rate differentials between different markets, feed into how you can think about currencies relative attractiveness and we see a number of our managers looking there as well so it creates opportunity it creates challenge but it's a way to navigate it is using multi-asset portfolios okay that's excellent and um, i'll come back to you in a second neil because i want to ask about how that sort of plays through into the advice world and what sort of questions you're getting from the clients but as inflation is a sort of yearly measure are you suggesting then that <coughs> because last year we were in lockdown and, and sort of everything felt moribund because of the differential because the economy has come back to life we're seeing an increased inflation amount just because of that numeric fact if you like partly right. um, I think it would be it'd be a bit disingenuous to say that's the only cause but if we just you take the UK for example we think about take it, UK retail sales yesterday is a really good example of how that impacts last August we had the out to help out scheme pushed up prices then you fast forward 12 months, prices have actually come down as a result of that. So actually retail sales in the in the UK came down as a result of that base effect. It's a really nerdy economic term, but the base effect does does have big implications. Go back to the middle of last year with negative oil prices, we have very high oil prices today. So the differential between the two is what drives that, that base effect and the rate. So it's more as we move through this year and we think about then are some of those effects being annualised out. As that comes, then you get a true reading of what the inflation <coughs> backdrop looks like. 
if you look at markets, markets can price inflation, so you can get a view on how the market's thinking about forward inflation. And that's the difference between if we look at a nominal bond and a, an inflation-protected bond. So in the US, we know that the implied inflation rate is about 2.9%. If we look at what it's being reported as at the moment, you're closer to 45 to 5%. It's a strange, it's a strange concept that we're all aware of. That markets sort of look ahead and, and price in yeah. developments, and that interested me again from a layman's perspective this week. That inflation rates came in higher than it, higher than the government's target, but lower than was the expectation. Yeah, and the markets yeah. kind of dealt with that. I felt. Yeah, so in in the UK we had uh, inflation coming in at around th three and a bit percent, um, just no change month to month. Market had expected to move up. Overnight, we heard from the, the Bank of England chief economist, he thinks UK inflation could get to 5%, which is, is quite a, mm. <laughs> a scary number when we hear it. it. It said 4% only a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not sure he actually knows what, what he's maybe looking at there. But anyway, um, inflation is moving up. The Bank of England's target's 2%, plus or minus 1%, goes above the 3%. The they need to write a, a letter to the Chancellor to explain why inflation is there. They'll certainly be writing a couple of letters over the, the coming months to, to explain it. I wonder if I have to put a stamp on them, it's interesting. Isn't it? The funny thing you say about living through the 70s, I think you know, if you were a fashionista, you say if you lived through the 60s, you, if you can remember them, you didn't live through them. I suppose as an economic nerd, if you lived through the 70s, you, you probably can't remember them, but no, I'm not an economic nerd, and I lived through the 70s, so I can probably remember them. Neil, how, how are clients dealing with um, sort of the volatility in the markets and, and when they're talking to you about advice and investments, what sort of messages are they passing on to you? Yeah, I mean, we, we have clients who've got concerns over, um, you know, slight change in their portfolio we typically take those those sort of calls um, every week really when the markets are down I will say not as much as March 20 um, you know when the markets went really down that was quite a, a full-on time where a lot of clients were ringing in um, not so much actually in, in, in recent sort of weeks um, there's, there's the odd call about performance but when we look at the longer term of how the money is invested since they've invested it and show the growth over that real term um, we tend to sort of calm clients fears if you like um, so yeah not, not, so many, not so many calls. I suppose it's important in the context of where, where markets have been. The, the news flow has been more, more volatile, shall we say, over the past four to five weeks. We've seen markets come off as a result. Past five, six days, we've seen markets continue to move higher. And we've got the S&P, NASDAQ, Dow, all very close to their all-time highs again, similar moves in Europe. So, yes, we, we come off a bit, but now we've, we've worked our way back up. And that's been the, the, the interesting thing for me this week is companies have reported results, the market has actually focused on, on the delivery as opposed to looking and thinking, well, what's inflation doing? What are we concerned about with Evergrande and China, etc.? So that negative news flows sort of changed a little bit to more of a focus on the actual delivery of, of companies. I think as well, just in relation to March 20, when we had, you know, a, a, a obviously a, a bigger dip, if you like, um, clients have obviously learned from that and they also learn a lot more about how their investment works. And we have that conversation with them moving forward and they're a lot calmer about slight fluctuations in the portfolio. Again, that's interesting. And, and there are a few questions about how investment works, which I'll come yeah. back to. But let's revert back to March last year, because that is an interesting point. Because from my perspective, again, the investment gurus amongst us will look at the charts and say that was a classic V-shaped recovery in the markets. But for all of us sitting there at the bottom of the V, it perhaps didn't feel like it was going to be a V-shaped recovery. We were having a global pandemic that even I hadn't lived through the Spanish flu, so it was unusual for <laughs> us. Um, Laura, I'm going to ask you a question now. We were pleased with our communication to our clients at the bottom of the dip, telling them to stay in the seats. Now, 
give us some evidence that I know you can you talk about this uh, in in the round, but I want to just know we didn't see a lot of clients taking their money off the platform then. It, it seemed that we did a good job of making people aware they have to stay in their seats and keep calm during a crisis. Yeah, I think people learned a lot, and I think the delivery of the material that we did really to end clients almost made them feel a little bit more comfortable by staying in the seats. Um, you know, over the past, what what we're in now, 14, 15, if, if not longer, um, s since then, and they've learned a lot. And s prime example, my, my parents, <laughs> um, you know, that they were very against, you know, they didn't really understand. And uh, probably about two years ago, I actually got them to invest in an ISA, um, and they'd ring me, Laura, what shall I do, what shall I do? Um, shall I take it out? And what, what they didn't realise, and it did take me a little while for them to get them to understand, they thought sitting in a cash ISA, it's safe. You know, I know that when I go to get it, it's going to be there when I... But what, I, what they didn't get was that actually they were losing money year on year. So when they eventually got in and uh, in March happened, it was like, should I take the money out, should I not? And, you know, and all the materials, the videos, the money market um, videos and things like that, I think clients and investors learned a lot and, and almost didn't take we didn't ex experience that dip in sorry dip but a uh, heightened withdrawals i think yeah. a lot of people yeah. did stay in the seats and they've benefited in the long run for that Great. i mean that it, it, we were really pleased with the the beauty and the speed with which we got our message out i think it was clear <coughs> it was concise it was telling people to stay in their seats and not panic and uh, that would be a watchword, everybody, for if we see further um, sort of events like that in the market is to keep your nerve you've set your risk goal you're on the track our funds and portfolios are doing exactly what they want to do so i'm glad your parents are happy yeah. with that investment. <laughs> um right in, in the in on the subject of taking money out um, there's a question that's coming from arnie uh, neil and it's one for you it says is it worth taking my 25 percent tax-free cash sum out of my pension pot and investing it into stocks and shares ISA, uh, stocks and shares isa um <clears throat> short answer would be probably not um, you know, um, if you're taking it out of your pension, um, one, first of all, dependent on your circumstances, you're taking it out of an, uh, an IHT sort of friendly um, product, if you like, um, because it's protected from an inheritance tax. So if you are taking it out of there, you're putting it really back into your estate. Um, secondly, as well, <coughs> you take your 25% out of your pension pot, which is still a tax efficient environment, um, putting it into a stocks and shares. Um, you could be obviously um, minimising the level of income that you could take in the future. So I would say no, s s keep it where it is. Um, and if you want to put additional funds into your ISA, uh, then don't use your 25%. I think that's sage advice as well. As someone who, who's over the age by which you can take money out of a pension, <coughs> I am not doing that myself. I think you know I want to keep as much money outside of my estate as I can. And I think you make that very good point. That it's a crucial point, everybody. Whilst your money's under a pension tax wrapper, it's outside of your estate for inheritance tax um, but that's that's good advice um, another point and it's a, it's a carry-on question from um, Karen and Newton two people ask this can I withdraw money from my pension before the age of 55 typically no um, so there are certain older schemes which you can have a protected retirement age where you can take it out early but typically no most pension schemes will only allow you to take your benefits um, 55 and over um, there has been a recent change uh, so from 2028, um, that age will t change to 57. Um, so that means that in 2028, you will only be able to take pension benefits from the age of 57. Why are they doing that? Well, they want to keep it 10 years in line with the state pension. So when the state pension age changes, they're trying to keep it in line. So when it goes to 58, your state pension age will be 68 as well. The good news about, from our point of view, from a true potential investments point of view, um, written into the pension deed, 
um, we have that protected retirement age of 55. Okay, so anybody who is in a true potential pension will still be able to access their benefits from the age of 55. Now, if you wish to um, protect that retirement age and, and, and not be liable for taking your retirement benefits at 57, which is what the government's going to do, um, you can still transfer into, say, a true potential pension and have that retirement age of 55. So it's a good opportunity for people to look at the pension and say, well, actually, I want to retire at 55. True potential investments um, pension is uh, protected at age 55. If you want to make that change, though, you've only got two years to do it. So 2023 is the deadline for doing so. So I would say to everybody, um, review. Um, if you wish to speak to uh, a financial advisor, um, then please do, because if you want to retire at 55, that's the way that you need to do it. That's an interesting point, actually, and we should we should go back to that because there's a there's a supplementary question here from from Luke. Thank you for Luke uh, writing in with this. It says, "I have a few pensions from various jobs I have had over the past ten years. Is there one place I can go that shows me where all my pensions are, and I can get the paperwork and consolidate my pensions?" What I would say on that, Luke, is um, it seems the time now to really consult a financial advisor about that, about consolidating your pensions. Because as Neil has just said, looking at your protecting your retirement age, if you were, correct me if I'm wrong, Neil, because I often am, you know, I don't admit that I'm wrong because I'm from Bradford, but I'm often wrong. Um, if someone were to consolidate their pensions after two years' time from now when they can no longer protect their retirement age, they would be consolidating their pensions into a later retirement age? Correct, yeah. Right? It's going to be very difficult for pension schemes who've got different retirement ages of, say, 55 and 57 to have one amalgamated date. So I think probably past 2023 when the deadline is, um, the, the, you'll you'll have a protected retirement age of 57, which may not suit your circumstances. So the message is, have a look now. Okay. So in the answer to Luke, yes, there is. Luke, there are there are various places you can go to see what your consolidated <coughs> pensions are. But I would suggest at this pace, it's not just enough to know about them. You need to consult an advisor because you probably should be taking <coughs> positive action. The younger people amongst us with pension pots, Jeff, Laura, Neil, the younger people amongst <laughs> us is not me. Um, it's probably a good time to be consulting your financial advisor. I'm looking at it. Um, an interesting one here from Delia. Um, it's asking, I want to open a savings account for my granddaughter. Which is the best account to open for her? Now, I don't want to ask which is the best account because that may be giving financial advice. But right. relating back to your parents, Laura, um, how can someone go about We obviously know they can go through an advisor if they need to open an account. But the, what other ways are available for them to open accounts? Yeah, I mean, we, we've got our True Potential Investor um, site so people can go on there and, and self-invest. Um, it's very, you know, informative. It takes you through a series of steps, um, almost asking questions and, and analysing your um, your circumstances and kind of what your risk profile would be and what product's best, what um, risk profile based on the, the answers to the questions. Um, so again, we've got, for example, in this particular question here um, about investing for a grandchild, um, we have a, a junior ISA, for example. Um, so junior ISA there, you can, you know, parents, grandparents um, can invest for their, their children up to a, a value of 9000 per year. Um, again, tax-free savings for, for that individual. And then I believe that when um, they get to the, the age of 18, so that, that money becomes the, the child or the grandchild uh, and becomes a standard ISA. Um, and and that, that individual then takes over that ISA from from there. So yeah, it, you know, it's there's multiple um, products uh, available. Um, but yeah, the True Potential Investment Site, which links to a, another question that we had, um, you know, it's it's very very informative. Takes you through all the steps. And um, so you you don't necessarily
necessarily have to go to an advisor or a broker for whatever your, your needs are. Um, that there is all of the information available on there as well. Plus a lot of informative videos, podcasts, things like that to, to get background information as well. Brilliant. And, and I think another point to make there is that when you're investing in a, a junior ISA, an ISA, a pension, you're still benefiting from investing in our portfolios, which are advanced diversification and all the good, you know, it's the same underlying investment proposition that you're going into. So you don't have to just be in a pension to benefit from investing in our portfolios. One area that we don't invest in, or maybe we do, Jeff, and I'm going to come back to you in a second and ask you about it, but it's from Anthony, this question. Can you tell me your view on the crypto marketplace? So you're right, we don't have exposure to, <laughs> to, to cryptocurrencies in the in the portfolio at this point in time. Thinking about what we've been talking about earlier, just about volatility, um, cryptocurrencies are some of the most volatile assets that are, that are available um, in the marketplace. There's, you know, there's an interest in just this week, if you think about Bitcoin as the example, um, we've seen the first ETF created on Bitcoin in, in the US, which has certainly given added impetus as to, to Bitcoin and how it's performed. So if we go back to the middle of July this year, Bitcoin was around 30,000 or there to the dollar. Um, it's now up around 66,000, so 120% return in uh, three or four months. So. It's exceptionally uh, volatile. If you think of the most volatile asset that there is, that in a mainstream asset sense, uh, equities, gold, probably have the, the highest volatility or the standard deviation of their, their price move, mid sort of 18 to 24%. If you look at global equities, you look at gold. You think about Bitcoin, it's probably closer to, to 80% vol. So um, not one of those assets that we have got exposure to at this point in time. But certainly it's... It, it's garnered a lot of interest. There's you know, obviously the first ETF created, it's bringing it slightly more mainstream. Um, so um, something that we continue to discuss with our managers, something that we, we look at, would be remiss not to, to consider it, um, given that it could have <coughs> diversifying characteristics. I mean, some people think about it, is it an alternative to gold? You, you look at the past recent months performance, gold hasn't really done anything. Bitcoin has done something. Inflation backdrop, normally you'd have expected gold to perform slightly better. So some of the correlations that we're used to working in markets are not working in the way that they have in the past. Crypto might be one way to, to think about that. I think that's uh, that's an excellent opinion and uh, it, it's reassuring for me that you've got such an open, open mind about it. I can think back to the, you know, the TMT scenario back in 2000 when TMT, not quite crypto, but it had this kind of perception that it was a, an unknown kind of asset class. And, and I think, you know, some of the early adopters got burnt, but over time it's produced some fantastic returns. But it is reassuring that you're keeping an eye on it, but you're not all in at this minute. I'm always a bit wary of something, and I'm not going to be too political here, I hope too much, but when Nigel Farage is backing something, I tend to want to just explore the facts properly first before. And I think that's the standing. important thing, it's, a, it, it's not just about understanding the asset, but it's understanding how you would hold it as well, and the safety, the security that you would have around it, which is crucial to, to our end, end clients. So what you've got is there is, a, is an asset that doesn't have that tangible backing, it's effectively mined um, from, from computers. Um, you do have a number of coins that are backed or allegedly backed by by fiat currency, but that that is also open to a bit of debate as well. So there, there's a number of issues around it that we we need to be aware of. We we'd also need to consider um, a lot. There's you know there's another angle to it. It's mined. 
um, using technology. Um, it's probably one of the most energy intensive currencies in the world. So if you think about where we are from a, a green, a sustainability perspective, it certainly doesn't fit into that um, because it's it's so energy intensive. Interesting. Now we've probably talked for hours about crypto. I mean, the whole concept of currencies and cash investing is something we should probably mention, and there are a few questions on that. Um, the interesting one that is uh, coming from Jeremy, Neil, and it starts with you, but I think it's probably in the round as well. I have a private pension which I pay into monthly, and I'm self-employed. I have money in different bank accounts. Am I better off keeping it in bank accounts or putting more into my pension or keep it in lots of cash? Hidden. I don't know where the hidden bit came from, Jeremy. Under the bed. Uh, well, possibly, yeah. Um, uh, we have a cleaner and it would stay hidden under our bed forever because I'm a bit dubious about whether she cleans under the bed, but we don't want to go there, do we? Um, I don't want my money having to be taken away on death duty when I go as I want to leave it to my daughter. What is the best solution? So it's a many-faceted question. Yeah. I'll deal with the death duty bit at the end, but let's talk about the fact that Jeremy, like many people out there, thinks of cash A as a safe haven, probably thinks of it as an investment and probably thinks that, you know, that's the place that when markets are volatile, they should be keeping their cash. Yeah, I mean, I think the main point to take away from that question is, um, you know, if, if, if Jeremy is going to keep it under his bed, it's not going to grow. Uh, so we've just talked about how the portfolios, um, you know, grow that money um, and how they're managed. Um, I think if you invest that money, that's the best option for you. Um, in one of the portfolios would be a great example. Um, keeping it in bank accounts, as we know, has got typically low rates. Um, even instant saver accounts, um, it's not going to get any growth under the bed. Um, so I would say invest it. Um, it all depends on, you know, when we have these conversations with clients, um, attitude to risk, how much risk you wish to take. And that's an important question that we do go through with clients. Um, but yeah, get it invested. Um, you know, that's the most important thing. We want to see that money grow. Um, and I'm sure Jeremy wanted to see that money grow as well. Well, that's an interesting point you make there again. I'm sorry if I repeat myself saying these are interesting points, but they are. Um, looking at money growing but looking at taking risk obviously when you're going into an active investment you assess your risk and then you, you make appropriate action but i think and this is probably one for you jeff and you can probably give some anecdotal evidence cash is not a risk-free asset when we've got inflation maybe spiking no, at five percent I, I think that's an important thing so yeah keep it under the bed and it, it stays there but actually in in real terms what you can buy with it is is being eroded so if we think about you know if, even if inflation's two three percent and you're getting zero one percent in in the bank, you're still getting a negative return on that asset, and that's that's really important because you don't see other prices coming down, so you're you're eroding your your, your purchasing power with that that capital. So it, it's very important to keep that in mind that where inflation is, that's the real cost of living, if you will. And if you're not seeing your savings growing with that or ahead of that, you're eroding your own wealth yeah. as a result. So it's important to to take on board, as you say, Steve. The, the risk profile that you want to be invested in, but really think about how you would earn a real return on that asset over time. And very, very briefly, because this is another subject I could get you talking about for hours, we'll talk about how your, because your parents are classic sort of cash investors in that manner that have gone from cash to an investment. Mm -hmm. And do they still ask you questions now about should I be back in cash? And No, it, I, I think right. they've converted right, okay. finally. Um, I, I think they understand, but I, I do think it's almost a, it's a safety, you know, mm -hmm. Yeah. That putting them under the money under the mattress, they know when they go back, it's going to be there. And I think it's an education gap, really, in terms of the the safety element that they don't pe people generally don't understand that actually that's worth now less than what it was. Um, so it's the education and and almost people reaching out for that advice and that information to say, well, 
you know, what should I be doing? So great questions to be mm-hmm. to be um, sending in for us to for us to I think answer. To me, the education points the mm-hmm. is the right one mm-hmm. because if you think about kids at school or whatever, you don't really get any. No, you're not, you taught, do, you're not taught about yeah. finance. You're not taught about your how to see if you're taught about <laughs> compound interest in maths and that's yeah. it. Yeah. You yeah. don't get it anywhere else. Yeah. You know, unless somebody's really interested in it, yeah. go off and do their do their own work around it. You don't get that, so I think the education point is crucial. I think it. I think it, again, the way we teach in schools is interesting because when I talk, I, the way we teach maths now is different than I learned maths. I mean, we had an abacus. And, yeah. <laughs> no, it, it is. It's, it is different, but I, you know, we should encourage more younger people to get into financial. Well, get into the financial yeah. services arena because, you know, we're crying out for young people to join. Um, Talking about education now, really quickly, because I, you will want to talk about this for hours. But it's 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 looking at inflation hedged assets. So looking at equities, and why why do we say don't invest in cash? Look at a more active investment because equities perform in a way that gives them a protection against inflation. Have you got? I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot here for a long answer, Jeff, but <laughs> it doesn't have to be. Have you got a sort of quick sort of precious as to why equities? help people. Yeah. I suppose the, the, the easiest way and the quickest way to think about that is that certain equities, and I think we have to, to, to think about it, There's, there are equities that maybe wouldn't do well in an inflationary environment, but in the main, why do they do well? Because they can pass through those costs. So if you've got a business that's able to pass through the inflationary cost, that drops its way through to, to that business and continues to allow it to deliver earnings growth. So there's a positive impact from that pass-through. And equity is a very simple way to think yeah. about it, but there's many other ways to, to no, explore no. it. <laughs> exactly, there are many other ways, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, that's, 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 and if anyone wants any further information, that you can contact us and we'll talk about how, how they hedge, hedge against it. Um, an interesting point coming in, um, and it's, it's a more sort of operational point, uh, Laura, it's coming from Keith. He's asking, can I take a monthly withdrawal from my pension? Yeah, absolutely is the answer. Um, so we run a, a payroll, obviously being a, a pension provider ourselves. Um, so a lot of people choose to to say take their monthly a uh, monthly income. Um, again, it's totally up to the individual. You can take that um, quarterly, annually, um, whatever it may be. And again, it's it's having the te- it's being technology backed. So when people in it are certainly our clients. Um, it's it's quite a seamless process. So you go onto your client site, you can request the draw a, a lump sum drawdown. Maybe you know you've got um, some circumstances that you need a lump sum, um, but also requesting a drawdown um, and an income, changing the amount. Yeah, I um, think there's a lot more flexibility nowadays. Certainly since the, the flexible rules have come in, um, clients might want to change the amount of income that they have. Maybe it's not on a month by month basis, but maybe it's on a year by year basis. Maybe it's there. The state pension is kicking in, so the, mis- the, the, the wish to take less from the pension. Um, and Laura's quite right, with the technology, um, you're available to see it real time. You can request different levels of income via your client site, which goes straight to the um, provider, which is TPI, um, or True Potential Investments. Um, but the flexibility allows you know people to take lump sums, maybe, if there's a change, they want a new car, or maybe if they want more income for that year, um, it's there's a lot more freedom out there with regards to how you take your income. It's a lot quicker as well, I would say. Was quicker, these yeah. days, I mean, yes, you know, maybe kind of back in the day when you used to have to fill forms in and you used to have to do all that manual work just <coughs> to get any money out of yeah. your pension. People may take over what they need more than the, what yeah. they need because they think, oh, I, you know, I can't be bothered to go through that process yeah. every time. And we found that to be more beneficial, certainly under lockdown. 
when yeah. people were living, you know, at home, working from home, and and really the the, the way of communication was technology. Yeah. Yeah. We found that actually um, during lockdown, we were a digitalized business anyway, but we have refined that and become even more digitalized during lockdown. <coughs> I think it's a really good thing. Yeah. People, you should engage with your with your technology on your on your handheld. It's uh, it's really. It's got everything on it, so you can do. Yeah. I would also say that if you're thinking of making withdrawal from your pension, it is very easy. Yeah. However, if you're unsure in any manner about should you be reverting back to our previous question about tax-free cash, etc., <coughs> it's easy just to get in touch with one of your advisors, Neil, or one of the advisors. Yeah, I mean, you've yeah. got your personal allowances. You know the amount of money that you can earn tax-free before you start paying tax, and any per, any pension or income that is taken from your pension adds on to that so it's always good if you're not sure to have a word with a financial yeah. advisor if you're not you know if you're not 100% on how much tax you're going to pay it's always a good conversation to have and that we can do that in a digital manner they don't have to come round your house and yeah, drink well, all I mean, your tea and eat your scones <laughs> no? yeah yeah no we do we in, in the central advice team we look, we do a lot of as you know remote and most of our appointments are remote. We do it either by Zoom if the client wants a video call or we give them a call um, and we can show them via the client site and give them demonstrations on how they can do, take income from, contact their advisor, look at the portfolio performance. Yeah, great. I mean, that keys in again to a question that's coming from Stephen. Not me, I hasten to add, but spelt the same way, so that's always reassuring. Um, Stephen asks, I have used up my ISA and pension allowances for this year. What or where would you suggest I invest in if I have further cash to invest? Yeah, I mean, we've got the typical standard products. We've got the ISA, we've got the pension, which Stephen's already, already alluded to. He's, he's filled up his allowances, so he can't put any more in there and, you know, have a tax efficiency on there. But we've got a general investment account, or a GIA, as we call it. And um, that is a very, very similar investment structure to the ISA. It's the underlying true potential portfolios. Not as tax efficient. Um, and, you know, you may pay tax when you take money out of that from a capital gains point of view. But then again, you've got a capital gains allowance to use as well, which is £12,300 per person. Um, so, yes, that, is, that would be the, the ideal um, way to invest more monies. And the good thing is, if you invest into the general investment account, um, then you can ISA up that allowance the next tax year. So you can put that ISA umbrella on it um, from a tax efficiency point of view. Interesting. I'm sitting here, you know, again thinking, crikey, I probably ought to talk to my advisor a little bit more often because we, we talk blasé, I don't mean to be blasé, but sorry about that. Um, we talk in a blasé manner about, yeah, use this, use yes. that, whatever. It, it harps back to previous podcasts as well. You should always use your allowances. There are other allowances with pensions um, <coughs> carry forward reliefs, which yeah. I don't want you to go into today because they're long and complex. However, Again, these are probably some things you can use relief, and Stephen says he's used this year's allowances. Yes. There are ways you can pick up allowances from previous years that you haven't used and bring them forward. Correct. Which, again, would be a good idea. To Certainly from a pension point of view, yeah. Yeah, if he hasn't used his previous full allowance, you can reclaim that back from previous years. So it's, it's a good option to have a look and review. Mm, cool. Um, many of our next questions relating, again, back to the markets, Jeff. Um, and I know we've kind of probably answered a lot already but some people are asking what is causing the volatility and and you know do we see <coughs> persisting and going for, going forward as well yeah I, su I suppose at its simplest what's what is it that seems to be causing the volatility it's very much around what we've been alluding to here this inflation discussion and whether inflation is going to be at a higher level than people have been used to over the recent past and that's feeding through into to asset prices primarily sovereign bonds where we've seen quite a bit of volatility there and um, so they move inversely so the price falls um, as, as, as yields move up or as interest rate expectations change. So it's been a bit of volatility there and then in the equity market we've seen 
volatility coming through from what's happening in, in, in China, concerns around global growth. Evergrande, this Chinese property developer that now suddenly trips off everybody's tongue because it's got $300 billion worth of debt, which is a very big number. Um, and that has just brought added uncertainty, a little bit of volatility into markets. But I really think that the important thing here is that the volatility has moved up ever so slightly. It's not that we have exceptionally volatile markets. And I think that's an important thing for us all to remember. We've come from a position of at the bottom of the market around the 23rd of March last year, where markets have kind of moved from bottom left-hand corner to top right-hand corner. Now, we do know that markets do react to news. They are an ever-living, ever-breathing um, thing. And as that evolves and changes, we will see volatility, particularly given the magnitude of the move that we've seen, put on top of that where valuations are for a number of, of asset classes. There's just a little bit of a pause for where, where are we travelling to to next? And and really, that's that to my mind is, is what's been happening in markets, and we're just transitioning into a slightly different environment. The key questions that market sort of participants are challenging themselves with is inflation. Are we going to sit and see inflation sitting at a higher level for a longer period of time? Going back to one of the questions, what does that mean for asset classes? And as that plays through, it's influencing how people want to allocate capital and the type of investments that they're, they're willing to make. And that's, that is what's causing the, the, the disruption, if, if you want to think about that. But volatility, if we think about a volatility measure, we think about the VIX or we think about the move index, if we look at equities, we look at bonds, they're at very, very low levels relative to their own history. So it's not surprising that volatility moves up a little bit and it should move up from here. Um, I think the other thing to, to keep in mind is that news, social media, has a great way of exacerbating all of this in the sense that I was looking at, you know, was it last week, looking at a headline that said, it popped up on my phone, it's like markets plunge. It's like, right, best have a look at that quite quickly. I'm sure. It's oh, they've moved one and a half percent. It's like, oh, right, okay, well, that's, that's, that's not a significant move that we're, we're, we should be thinking about, but it's what we've got preconditioned to. But we don't get the other side of that we don't get that actually markets have nearly recovered in terms of an equity sense back to yeah. to near all-time highs. So I think there's an important sort of calibration that people need to take around that, what's happening in in reality versus the, the underlying dynamics. So we'll see that play through. You know, it is it's very much that pull and pull, or sorry, pull and push around inflation at this point in time. Bringing together a few of the strands you've had there in my inimitable way is... Um, you talk about Evergrande, and then obviously we had the Evergrande stuck in the in the Suez Canal last year, so it's just travel, which direction of travel. Does that mean that any stock or equity or uh, investment that's prefixed by Ever, you're, you're avoiding? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's maybe a new strategy to, yeah. to think about, just, maybe just, just exclude all of those things. I mean, the reassuring point, beyond my jocular nature here, is the fact that um, when we saw the markets do what they did last uh, March and then recover quickly, um, what I would discourage, and listening to yourself, Jeff and Neil and Laura, and, and, and we work and live it all day long. Um, if you're insecure or uncertain in any manner, then you should be um, defaulting to a professional, an advisor, an investment manager. This is really crucial when we look back at last March. A lot of, well, not a lot, thankfully <coughs> we stopped it, but people were tempted to make an investment decision at the bottom of the, mm. uh, bottom of the, uh, the dip. I'm not an investment manager. 
it was nervous times, but if you make that investment decision, and what do I mean by that? You go into cash. Mm -hmm. You actually change your asset class mix. It's the wrong thing to do. So hopefully when we hear Jeff and Neil and Laura talk, talk you can hear that we're reassuring, we're on top of what's happening in the market. And I think the, the thing to that is that nobody has got a perfect way to predict what's going to happen in the future. But I think once you accept that, to make a point decision at a point in time, whether it's at the bottom of the market or you try to call the top of the market. Yeah. Remember, the, the top of the market, if you called it, great. Yeah. But actually, the markets continue to, to, to move higher. So if you look at academic studies, you do it yourself, exclude the top and the bottom, it's quite difficult to make a return. So you want to stay invested because to that very point, it's exceptionally difficult to time. I think a good point as well is the diversification yep. element of the portfolios and spreading out, you know, yep. your money over that amount of portfolios and assets. Yep. So it's in that I think that's that is it's crucial. We we we're not thinking about you're only invested in equity or you're only invested in US equity. Think about the exposure that's across the portfolios. Yeah, very good points there. The the overarching is that and it's similar to your parents' perspective. When you discuss with clients their needs and requirements and their goals, you're then talking about, well, we need to talk about your attitude to risk. And we have portfolios defensive and cautious, which satisfy a lot of people's attitude to risk, but they're not full equity, they're not all in the market. So when News at 10 says, we still have News at 10, I think we do. When News at 10 says, you know, the markets have plummeted one and a half percent, and they don't mention the day after they're up one and a half, um, don't worry, your your risk is being taken account of. We're managing our portfolios in line with yeah. the risk yeah. you have mandated us to take. And I think that's really sage advice. Yeah. Um, that's most of the questions. We've covered a lot there. We now get on to the fun bit. Not that that hasn't been fun. And we need to ask people, what what it's it's a Friday if you if you listen to it. Well, you can't listen to it live, but if you listen to it, it's a Friday, but you might listen to it over the weekend. What are we doing this weekend? Let's start with Laura. Um, what am I doing this weekend? I'm actually going out with the girls oh this dear. weekend, which oh has dear. been a little Inflation. while. Um, it's a couple of big birthdays that we've got in the group, and we've organised, dare I say, bowling and oh karaoke. <laughs> no, one after the other. Which The karaoke's last, which it probably needs to be, because... Most people are not really that confident to be getting up if they're, if they're sober. So, I should have um, asked you to go last with that. You've got the best one. <laughs> what constitutes a big birthday to you? Um, well, you know, the big four or four. Oh, yeah, oh well, that is yeah. a big birthday, yeah. Let me tell you. A Co couple, of, couple of girls in the group, so yeah, we're all going out together. So, oh, that yeah. sounds like fun. In Newcastle, I haven't actually been out in Newcastle for. Well, probably since COVID, actually. Yeah. So it's because now there's been a big Saudi investment. Everybody wants to go out in Newcastle, isn't it? That's oh, yeah. A, yeah, that's exactly well, why I'm going. Um, avoid Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, what have you got planned? I'm going to go and play some Laser Quest. <laughs> what, in Newcastle with the girls? No, in, <laughs> in Edinburgh. It's my son's birthday, so taking that's 12 boys off to play Laser Quest. So. I'll see if I survive that. Are you that joining in? Or? I'm going to join in. Oh, very good. Yeah, exactly. You're going to join in. Oh, well, that, yeah. It's a similar kind of weekend, isn't it? Marvellous. I wish I... I wouldn't mind doing either of that. I prefer Jeff's. <laughs> Neil, Laser Quest, karaoke with the girls. What no, are you doing? No, nothing exciting. Action packed, though. I've not seen the Bond film yet. Oh, so okay. I believe it stops showing on the 28th. So I'm, I think oh, I'm really? going to go and watch the Bond film. Stop showing it. It's going to stop at the cinemas at 28th. Oh, right. And then go on so the TV. Got, yeah, only got that time. Mm. So I'm going to go and see the Bond Get film. Get to it. It's good. It's very now that you're all dying to know what I'm doing, aren't you? Well, I have a pretty mundane weekend coming up. We're going for dinner with my wife, which will be lovely. Uh, 
thankfully got that in quickly. But I'm <laughs> waiting. I, you know, it's like waiting for Christmas. I'm waiting for the first frost. Uh, yeah, why is that? Why because is that? I've got a lot of dahlias. I've, we did, we challenged ourselves to grow dahlias this year, and they came in abundance. We got some big, horrible ones. They're lovely, but they're huge, like a child's head. Um, <laughs> but the first frost will kill them all back, and then you chop them and lift your tubers. So I'm waiting for the first frost. So if the first frost doesn't. Wake up, everybody. If the first frost doesn't come... You should have went first. <laughs> I should have been on... Listen to this just before bedtime, everyone. This story will help you get to sleep. Um, yeah, I'm waiting for the first frost. Uh, Bradford City Railway at Swindon, so I shall get angry listening to that and probably get beat. Um, and then we'll go for dinner and, and then rinse and repeat, and it'll be Monday, won't it, before we get going again. But, uh, well, thank you. Poachers, yeah, and from, the, from an Thank experienced gamekeeper now. I think it's my third time hosting it, whatever. Um, I might be back as a poacher one day. It's been great. Thank you for your answers. Thank you, Thank you everybody, for, uh, for, for writing in with your answers. Please feel free to continue doing this. Um, we're always, uh, you know, happy to receive your questions. But to sort of sum up, I would say, please look at TP Investor if you want to self-serve, and there's lots you can do on that. But if you're insecure or you want advice in any manner, we have Neil and his advice team make contact very easy through our website but rest assured that Jeff and the team are looking after your money through these historically not so volatile times but what because of the you know the speed of media and everything else they appear to be a bit more volatile than they are lovely to talk to you all thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you again soon subscribing to the true potential YouTube channel is quick and easy simply go to the channel on your desktop or through the YouTube app on your phone and click the subscribe button you can then press the notification bell symbol if you wish to be notified as and when new videos are released. Doing this is a great way to keep yourself updated with market developments and personal finance insights. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed and we look forward to continuing to help you do more with your money.